1: Making the world your lover. Oh, that's what we're here to do, my darlings. That's what we do through my online joy school at lisaimacourt.com, through my newest book, Free Your Joy, The 12 Keys to Sustainable Happiness. And it's what we're going to do right here, right now, together on the Do Joy podcast, where I bring you fascinating guests with powerful insights for elevating your personal vibration. Deep lasting happiness is a skill you can learn and I'm so honored to be on this journey with you. Hi, my beautiful podcast family all over the world. How is your heart? How is your heart holding up right about now? I've thankfully just returned home after giving nine presentations in Nebraska and then leading a really beautiful, deeply moving weekend retreat in California, and what's been surfacing in these recent weeks again and again, as we watch horrors play out on the world stage, is how can we focus on our own joy when there's so much tragedy and devastation happening? And I get it, that is such a fair question but only because we've been so conditioned to believe that pursuing our own joy is selfish. And it's not, it's not. The theme that shone through most brightly in the retreat I just led was the theme of non-duality. All the problems we humans are creating and facing are due to our current tendency toward dualistic thinking. Expanding our consciousness, which, yes, does include expanding our capacity for true joy because joy is love and the highest frequency that we can strive to embody. Expanded consciousness is what will turn the tide. And it's time. It's time for that. So with that in mind, I want to share with you in this episode a recent Joy School Spotlight event with my heart brother and longtime collaborator Rob Mack. Joy School Spotlight is a free online event that takes place the third Wednesday of every month. You are more than welcome to join us. Information is at lisamccourt.com. I don't record the portion of the event where we open up the dialogue with participants because that gets personal, but I do record the part where I'm interviewing our guest teacher, and that's what I want to share with you right now just in hopes it brings you some comfort. We all need comfort wherever we can find it to get through this devastating moment in history. So here you go. Robert Mack is an Ivy League educated positive psychology expert. He's a celebrity happiness coach, published author and television host and producer. His work has been endorsed by Oprah, Vanessa Williams, Lisa Nichols and many others In addition to serving as celebrity love coach for Famously Single on the E! Network for two seasons, Robert also worked as consulting producer and on-camera expert for Mind Your Business on the OWN Network, and executive producer and host of Good Morning La La Land on Apple TV and Hulu. He's been featured on television shows like Good Morning America, The Today Show, CBS Morning Show, Access Hollywood. And in magazines like GQ, Self, Health, Cosmopolitan, Well and Good, and Glamour. Dude, how do you stay so humble?
2: (laughs) Uh, You know, I don't know if you've ever called me Robert. And so I was for a while there like, who's she talking about? (laughs) You always say things like hon and love and I just love it all so much.
1: Yeah, I don't know how that would have fit into the bio. So I was oh, I to you, like, <laughs> for, for for a hot minute, I wanted to make you sound all official before they sound, like <laughs> completely, completely humble you are. And this is one of the things that I've always adored about you, my cherished long, long, long time friend and brother. You do these amazing things. And at the same time, you totally know that they don't really mean anything.
0: <laughs> Facts.
2: Facts. You're
1: totally. such a great example of how we can know that we want something, go after it, get it, while staying completely aware that getting the stuff we want really has very little to do about happiness.
2: It's a mic drop right there. These...
1: Talk about that. I know that's one of your favorite topics.
2: It is. It's, it, it is. It's, It's um, I. you remember that Jim Carrey quote, I know we can't forget it, where he says, I want everyone to become rich and famous and accomplish every dream that they've ever imagined you know and just so they can finally realize it's not the answer which is sometimes hard to hear at first you You're like ah oh, you know does that mean that i can't go for my goals or my dreams and of course he's not saying that he's just saying that your goals and you know your dreams and your desires don't deliver on the promise they seem to make around lasting meaningful and abiding happiness so yeah it's great to chase and pursue things but if you attach your happiness to them you're often disappointed
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So I know you and I have talked about these things many, many, many times, and it seems that the the trick, which joy schools are familiar with this as well, that the, the trick is to achieve this unconditional acceptance, contentment, happiness, and then watch all those external goodies kind of fall effortlessly into place, right?
2: Mm, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel that um, deeply. It's sort of like, yeah, don't give up on your goals and your dreams and your desires, but give up the attachment and the neediness and the greediness and the expectation that realizing any of those dreams, desires or goals will make you happy forever um, or even for very long, sometimes at all. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it's, um, you know, I think it's not um, it's not about reaching for less. It's about reaching for more. Right. So it means that you don't have to wait or procrastinate or postpone your happiness until you get what you want you can have the happiness which is what you really want here and now and then as a result of that as a consequence of that you find that everything else you want is added it's the added things in scripture they talk about thinking the kingdom of heaven the rest will be added I think of the kingdom of heaven is is where God is wherever God is must be happiness imagine unconditional happiness and if there's happiness um, you can find that in yourself then you tend to find that the rest is added or i sometimes say included i like the word included better it's included um but yeah i love what you the way you put it lisa which is um happiness is the greatest success it's the reason we want success but it also leads to success and success in every and any area of your life
1: ironically we care less than anyway about all those external successes yeah we we always had the equation backwards we thought if we got all those things in place then we could have the happiness and it's really a backwards equation once we have the happiness it's easier to get all those other things in place for sure
2: so good you're right the happiness is the cake everything else is the icing on the cake yeah happiness is the cake that's the reason we want the stuff that's right the reason we want the wisdom that we want the love that we want the relationship that we want the health that we want the beauty, that we want whatever it is, the youth, we want it because we think we'll feel better for having it. And when you can have it without, you can have the happiness and the feeling, you can, without the stuff, not only do you have what you most want, which is the happiness and feel better, but you also find that everything else follows closely behind that, uh, which is kind of wild actually in a way. It's like, as soon as you don't really want it, it seems to come, kind of thing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but that's the nature of life, and if you've been paying attention, it's often the, the nature of relationships as well, right? Mm-hmm. As soon as you're not that interested, they're interested. <laughs> when you're too interested, they're not interested. <laughs>
0: yeah. I think it
1: was until Tilda Wall. She said, "You can have anything you want as long as you don't need it." It's,
2: it's, uh, yeah. I love that so well said. Um, the way I always heard it, and I love that one even more. But needing nothing attracts everything.
1: Yeah, yeah. Right?
2: yeah. So how can we either, depending on how you look at it, downgrade or upgrade our needs to simply preferences? Mm-hmm. I would
0: prefer
2: to be in a healthy body. I would prefer to have a partner. I would prefer to have lots of money. But when you're able to upgrade, up, upgrade, upgrading your needs to preferences, you discover there's a lot less attachment around all of it. And that frees you up to be happy here and now. When you're happy here now, the other stuff seems to just come.
1: Yeah, for sure. And And I've heard you talk about how that's really attainable to anyone, regardless of circumstances. Wherever we are, we can start with this this mindset shift. And I feel like there's this whole new fresh blanket of darkness and despair that's just settling in now all over the world collectively, right? And we were still kind of reeling from those fairly recent blankets of darkness and despair. And it feels like it just collectively keeps our nervous systems jacked up, right? And a jacked up nervous system is not going to be conducive to focusing on gratitude. Or we talked a lot in my retreat this past weekend about non-duality, and with all that's triggering our fear and pushing our anxiety buttons, it feels like we're just digging our heels in deeper and deeper into these super dualistic notions of the world, right? Which isn't to anybody's benefits.
2: Boy, that's that's a mouthful there, Lisa. I just love everything you shared there. And it's true. I, I don't know about anyone here, but I used to really struggle with this idea of the possibility of being happy when everyone around me or so many people around me seemed unhappy, felt oh, selfish. Um, And then until I discovered a lot of the research on the topic, which basically says exactly what Lisa shared there, which is that when you're stressed out, you're anxious, you're overwhelmed, you're sad, you're depressed, you're anything less than peaceful, you are are at your creative and problem-solving worst. Yeah. So in other words, you're at your creative and problem-solving best when you're feeling good. And so the challenge and the opportunity is to find a way to at least be at peace, at least to find peace within yourself when you're surrounded or seem to be surrounded by circumstances and conditions and people and experiences that would convince you there's no real reason to feel peace. There's no good reason to feel peace. Um, If you can only feel peaceful in peaceful circumstances and conditions, I would argue it's not peace. Right, just question that for a second there. It's like, how can you know it's peace if you know you have every reason to feel at peace? So, in any case, if you want, if we want, we care about solving our own problems, and the problems of our loved ones, and the problems that exist in the world. And the bigger the problem, and the more serious the problem, the more true this is. We have to find a way to access this infinite, eternal, full of well being, the peace that exists within us all. And we need to learn how to access it on demand, at will, whenever we want. Until we can do that, we're still part of the problem itself and we're getting in the way of finding better, more creative, healthier, happier solutions to all problems in the world. The smallest ones that we experience on a personal levels and the biggest ones that we experience globally. So that's hard for lots of folks to hear. It's hard for me to hear. Like, I mean, I gotta, you know, Feel peaceful or happy or joyful when the world is at war. Um, but we've tried it the other way. We've tried drowning with the drowning people, and that doesn't serve anyone. We've tried worrying when everyone else is worrying, and that doesn't help. Uh, we really want to be part of the solution. We have to be solution oriented. And if we want to be solution oriented, we're going to stay up in the prefrontal cortex. We can't risk drowning ourselves in the amygdala and back in the primitive brain. For
1: sure. Yeah. You know, speaking of brain stuff, we had Chris Niebauer at the retreat this past weekend. He wrote, No self, no problem, how neuropsychology is catching up to Buddhism. So we talked a lot about left and right brain um activity. And it was so fascinating to understand that even though since the beginning of human existence, we've had right and left brains. We basically had these, these two brains. The evidence shows that hunter-gatherer societies, because there is still a hunter-gatherer society on the planet in South Africa, the Pitahan people, and they live much the way our ancestors did. They're entirely right brain people. Their language is song. It's a language of emotion. Every Westerner that's ever come across the Pitahan notices how just completely joy-filled and blissful their lives are, even though they kind of suck at survival. Their their numbers have been dwindling. They only make it into their 30s. They live this like horrible malaria-filled, existence by our standards but they're so happy so content and they are very uh, right brain driven so we talked about how you know possibly in order for the species to survive we had to become more left brain oriented and now we've just swung so far in that direction and we're so dualistic and it feels like that's so up Right now, right, that that once this energy starts snowballing like it has been in, in recent years, it just creates all this tension within the collective and people feel like they need a place to dump it everyone's walking around carrying all of this and the need to just vomit it out all over someone just seems to get more and more amped up so Clearly, it seems that humanity needs to swing back to some sort of balance between right and left brain because the left brain is where we're very dualistic and, and we're not in touch with the emotional side of us. And and, and yeah, Chris, Chris was adorable. He said that the weekend retreat was like a little right brain uh, enclave that we built where we all just were right brain centered all weekend. But there, there aren't enough of them. <laughs> there aren't enough right brain enclaves happening to seems to counterbalance what's, what's going on out there.
2: It, it's interesting on the brain itself seems to mirror. It's like the dualistic expression of life itself in a way, right? You've got the sort of the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere. And ideally they'd work in sort of hemis, hemisync, hemisync and, 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 um, you know, if duality duality is nothing, if it's not this um, notion that we seem to experience of good and evil, right, or right and wrong, of uh, emotional and intellectual, or emotional and analytical, and um, you know, non duality point is the um, it's the it's the everyday common experience that often goes over- overlooked of. Mm-hmm. of not judging by appearances, not judging good and evil, not getting stuck to either pendulum, really not being even interested in the either pendulum, but diving deep into that place or that placeless place where um, only peace and love and happiness and harmony reside. And, and, and of course, from that place, your most creative, most interesting, most insightful thoughts are inspired. Instead of being motivated, right? So, 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 the challenge, even as you talk, as we talk at all, is that we're always making concessions to language. And so, as soon as we say "on," there's an "off," and as soon as we say "emotional," there's an "analytical," and that's part of the challenge and the opportunity of um, having this conversation at all. And that's also why I have found, at least, and I'm open to being wrong here, my happiest, most peaceful, most joyful, blissful, and inspired moments are the moments where my mind is the most quiet, when it's not lost in discursive thought, when I'm fully, deeply present, so present and absorbed and consumed with what I'm doing that I have no interest, time, or energy to evaluate how I'm doing, flow state. Just call it flow state, the vortex, right? Um, Lots of ways to access that, but the way we describe it is the same, whether you describe it from a place of science, from scientific perspective, from a philosophical one, Or from an experiential one. It's a a place of presence, just presence. And that doesn't only mean having your mind where your body is, but it means to a large extent, not having a whole lot on your mind at all.
1: It's tricky for a lot of people, right?
2: Yes. And also so easy, we overlook it. We do it all day, every day, and we never, and it happens so quickly, and we're so off to the next problem. To solve the next problem or to worry about the next thing that we don't realize. Also, we do it for who knows four, five, six hours a night when we're sleeping. It's that easy. It's So easy we do it when we're sleeping.
0: <laughs> right?
2: It's it's so easy that small children do it. That that um, animals, particularly if they haven't been domesticated, do it. Um, it's it's so easy that we overlook the significance of it and we complicate it. Um, but it's just the practice of dismissing or ignoring thoughts, particularly stressful thoughts and happy, unsupportive thoughts, um, when they arise for the pleasure of it alone. We do it all day long, right? I mean, you think, oh, I should eat the whole box of donuts. Maybe you do it. most days you just dismiss the thought and move on. Oh, I'm at the top of a building somewhere. And you think, oh, what if I just fell off or jumped off the building? Oh, silly thought, dismiss that one, right? Um, We have all kinds of silly, trivial, petty, sometimes huge thoughts that we dismiss and ignore all the time. And so it's just the practice of keeping that up and not being so attached, consumed and interested, interested, interested in our thoughts and just thoughts.
1: Getting that distance from them allows us to question them and decide which thoughts do I want to subscribe to? Which do I want to dismiss my subscriptions to? But I think that is a practice. I think most people are very much identified with our thoughts, the whole, I think, therefore I am, we think our thoughts are us, our thoughts define us. And it takes some dedicated practice to get that observer distance and start to really, really notice that our thoughts can be kind of absurd and repetitive when we're, when we're, we're the observer of them, instead of being the participant in them. And, mm. and, and I feel you saying that that's, that's what gives you more, more moments of that that peace and joy and bliss and compassion that we all are at our core, that we all know make up the the core of our being, the soul that we came here as is joy and love and peace. And it's really the intrusion of these thought forms that, that keeps us from that recognition.
2: Oh, it's great. That's beautifully said. Um, I think of it like the windshield wipers or windshield wiper blades on your vehicle when you're driving through a storm, that darkness that we see out into the world. Um, The rain makes it impossible to kind of see what lies ahead. You know, it's hard to see anything. And every time the wiper blade, you can see for a micro moment or two, especially when it's raining really hard. And I'd say most of our lives are like that. It's raining really, really hard. And we're trying to make our way through and we're trying to persist. Everybody says, just keep going, keep working hard. You know, um, don't give up. And we're doing that. And the wiper blade, you know, and that's kind of how we live our whole lives. We have these moments. Oh, it's a happy moment. Oh, you know, it's a peaceful moment. Oh, and and, and the point is, is that that happiness is always there, right? Whatever that, the peace, the harmony, the the, the solutions are always there, and sometimes we notice them, and we say we come upon this great insight. But there are infinite insights. There are in, there's infinite happiness. There's infinite peace and love, and those wiper blades are equivalent to the dismissing and ignoring of thoughts over and over and over again. And we feel like that the happiness is just comes in moments. I'm happy. I was happy today between 2 and 2.15 p.m. kind of thing. Uh, The truth is, there was always happiness there. And the wiper blade swung across there for 15 minutes or so. And you called it, or I called it happiness. But that is a bit of a misunderstanding, at least. On my part, if I'm really clear, if we're really clear, and you just notice and you can practice more and more just filling into something as simple as the peaceful aliveness in your body, you notice that it's always there. It's like truth or honesty or kindness, or it's always there. It's not like you're more honest one day than the next. Okay, sure, maybe you've expressed more honesty one day than the next, but you're full of honesty. You're full of integrity. You're full of kindness. And some moments you allow it and some moments you don't. And the allowing moments are beautiful and wonderful, and there's no reason to beat yourself up for when you're not so allowing, but it's a question, at least for me, of having more moments when I am not so lost in my thoughts. And I don't take my thoughts so seriously because the truth is um, all thoughts are um, at least partial lies. They only have truths, if even that, right? Um, we don't. Uh, there's nothing you can experience that you can capture with a thought About that right? Uh, you can't, how do you describe honey to someone who's never tasted it? How do you explain music to someone who's never heard it or love to know someone who's never felt it? You can't do it. You can't capture it in words or, or thoughts or language. You just can't do it. And that's all the brain is doing all the time is trying to capture ineffable things, infinite things with this finite ephemeral language and words and thoughts. And so anyway, the point is uh, it doesn't have to be so hard. Kids do it pretty well all the time it's to do it better yeah to do it better <laughs> yeah
1: sure and you you know rob we always talk in joy school about this filter of beliefs that that we sort of this framework that we create very very young and that that's what the the thoughts are coming through it's like the the thoughts aren't even all coming from the same place for all of us we all have our little keyhole of perception lined up on what we're trying to collectively call reality and none of our keyholes are lined up the same and so our thoughts are going to understandably not jibe with somebody else's thoughts because we're just we all have our unique filter that we're we're taking all these thoughts in from and i feel like that's what's happened you know so much with with what's going on in the world with why there is so much Dualism. There was a, a quote today from Abraham Hicks, one of their, their quote of the day today said, you are perceptual beings with different vantage points, and it does not matter how much information is given, you cannot see beyond the vibrational limit of where you are standing, you cannot live or see or experience outside of your own individual beliefs. So I know you and I have talked about this stuff for, for decades, Rob when when there's someone who's not interested in expanding the keyhole when they're just entrenched in their own dualistic narratives and and we are are seeing this from perhaps those of us who who come to something called joy school and listen to people like Rob Mac who have a little bit more of a, a an attempt to to live in a higher consciousness place if when that when you see that duality so activated is there really anything that, that we can do, or do we need to just lean into acceptance that this is where humanity is at right now? And again, I'm talking about the global stage because I feel like that's so up for so many people, but we're we're not there. It's you know, T- Tim had a, a shirt on this weekend. I thought it was adorable. He said maybe worrying about it will help. It's like <laughs> oh,
2: <gosh. laughs> yeah.
1: but it doesn't help. How, how do we how do we calm our sweet little nervous systems around everything that's going on? when we can see that there's just such entrenchment in keyhole views of the world?
2: A great question. I like um, the psychology of separate realities, psychology of separate realities. That's the way Richard Carlson would refer to it. Um, I remember once visiting a hospital to your point, Lisa, in, in university, uh, university of Washington, and they had this art exhibit and there were two doors and the one door had the tiny keyhole carved out. It was pointing in the same direction as the other door that had a much bigger hole carved out. And you looked at the little keyhole first and you saw it was this ugly, terrible, just like room of just complete messiness and disorder. And you went to the other one with a bigger kind of keyhole or sort of looking glass. And my gosh, it was beautiful. It was the most beautiful. It was the same room. It was the same room. It was impossible to really describe or explain how they had done it, how they had done it. And so you nailed it. Um, The one thing I found, I can tell you what I found that doesn't work and I'm interested to hear what everybody else, trying to persuade through logic and reason will not work. And we know that based on science as well. If you want to persuade or convince people of things, uh, logic and reason is usually the last resort. And it doesn't, it's very, in fact, it backfires. Um, There's something as Lisa's described many times, confirmation bias. Um, They've done studies and they found that people who are on two different sides of the fence in terms of any particular um, topic, let's say it's pro-life and pro-choice, no matter what side of the fence you sit on. When you present an objective piece of data to them both that's meant to bring them close together, it actually drives them further apart. People double down on their original belief. They filter the new evidence through their bias. And before long, they get an even stronger conviction that they must be even more right now. And so, persuasion and logic and reason does not work to humans, people for the most part. People, we all are emotional decision makers. We then backfill that emotion or that emotional decision with logic. And the better we are at that, the more logical we call ourselves. And we ultimately, almost all of us, consistently make emotional decisions, even the most rational of us. Um, you know, Carl Jung would say, um, I differently, it would say, um, until you make the unconscious conscious, it'll dictate your life and you'll call it fate. What is the unconscious subconscious is much more responsible for lots of our life than we realize. Um, so at the end of the day, I'd say, um, don't lean into um, persuading through logic and reason. Um, at best, deepen your rapport. Uh, that means warmth and connection and positivity with people. If you need to, and often you do, stay off the topic entirely for a while until you deepen that rapport. If you don't have strong rapport, you're better off leaning to someone else who does have that rapport with that person. They can be a lot more convincing than you will. Um, and so uh, there's a few things beyond that. I'd say the most important thing we can do is we can show people better than we can tell them, you know, I love words, and words are great, but um, they fall on deaf ears when people when people already understand. They fall on deaf ears when they don't understand. They fall on even deaf ears, particularly if they're not asking for your convincing, your feedback. So I'd say we can show them better than they can tell them. And so if there's any remnant of stress or anxiety or worry within you, do what you can to resolve that first and foremost. Um, and then if you feel inspired have the conversation um, but i would make priority number one resting in and as and abiding in and as that peaceful aliveness that sometimes people call god or source or vortex or intelligence or life or happiness um, your emotional contagion is always a lot more persuasive than anything rational or logical could possibly share with another person that's why great teachers always taught through parables for instance, right? I didn't really lean too much into logic. I struggle with that. <laughs> I always wanna share logic, but yeah, so anyway, um, I would say the most important thing you can do is relax. That's really hard to hear, It's really hard to hear, but you can't help the world and yourself in any greater way than simply relaxing.
1: Right, and then if an opportunity arises to be of assistance in some way, you're so much more effective from, from that place, And we are vibrational beings in a vibrational universe. We, we ripple out all the time. We ripple out to those around us and whatever kind of energy we infect those around us with, they go out to infect all the ones around them and it just goes out and out and out. And I think that's what, um, what people are struggling with now is taking care of their own hearts, their own nervous systems, because it feels like we need to focus outward because there's so much going on. The game of whack-a-mole has just gotten like bigger and bigger and harder and harder to keep all the moles at bay. And it keeps everybody so outwardly focused. When was it Geta who said, uh, if everybody swept their own doorway, the whole world would be clean. If we take care of our own energy, we're doing the very most important first best step to ripple that energy out. And, who knows how far that will, will go.
2: Absolutely, I love that so much, Lisa. And um, Eckhart talks really beautifully to this point around, you know, and, and Abrahamics as well, and like so many peace movements are polluted by very well-intentioned people who want to make a difference and want to bring peace, but are bringing anything but peaceful energy to that experience, to the movement, to the protest, right? So that's important to keep in mind. Um, they might also say it this way like the the problem and the solution are on two different pages right mm. the consciousness that created the problem is a different consciousness from the one we need to find the solution to the problem right so there's two different or two different wavelengths they're on two different vibrational um, places and so um we can't expect to continue to solve old problems old consciousness, we need a new consciousness and, uh, or at least a awareness, um, a deeper awareness around the consciousness that truly exists. So, so I think that's, that's critical because you've probably seen that with your own life. You try to solve a problem, a finance problem, and yeah, you get ahead of it a little bit before you know it, like five, you might be making twice as much money, three times as much money, and you've got the same problem somehow. It's like, I still don't have enough money. How, how do I still not have enough money? And we blame it on the world. Um, but often we take the same way of thinking and being with us into the future, despite having made more money or come up with better solutions or better drugs, and we find that we're not getting anywhere really that, that as, as, as OSHA would say, the king and the beggar um, um, they both they both achieve zero distance to the horizon. <laughs> right? <laughs> There's no reaching the horizon uh, kind of thing. So anyway, yes, the, conch, um, the problem and the solution are two different pages.
1: And so that that peace, achieving that, that peace is, is is the best thing that we can do. And do you think that people are making a distinction these days between finding peace, finding acceptance, and finding happiness? Is happiness a different kind of a a goal? And by that same logic, if we can find peace and acceptance around it, and that adds, you know, contributes positivity into the world, if we can get actually to happiness, to pure joy, does that contribute that much more to the world or is that going too far? We can't be joyful with all these horrible
2: things happening. Oh, I love that question. You already know my answer. I don't think it's <laughs> possible to be too joyful. <laughs> uh, try, please try. Um, I'm all for that. Um, I And I would say that um, I would describe happiness as a peaceful aliveness or an alive peacefulness. Um, the happiness, I think, that most of us knew as seven year olds or 10 year olds or 25 year olds or 35 year olds. Um, I wouldn't call a peaceful uh aliveness. I wouldn't, um, we would say that, um, quite frankly, it often was very anxious, it was very um, anxiety ridden. And uh, I don't know if that I would call that a clean, pure happiness, the kind that I would want to experience every day. Um, I think that happiness can be full of um anticipation and excitement and enthusiasm, um, and it doesn't equate to excitement and pleasure, you know, although it's pleasant. So I'd say peaceful aliveness is um, probably as close as I've gotten to finding language that best describes the way I think about true happiness. Uh, I'd say the semantics and the language matters a lot less than the experience itself. And it's just that the remix would say that tapped into didn't turn on feeling. And it can come into lots of flavors, or at least it seems like it comes in lots of flavors um, or lots of different forms. Ultimately, it's something that's formless, but I would say that um, it is mostly devoid of the kind of anxious, seeking, chasing, pursuing energy that so many of us associate with happiness. Uh, And no, you can't, I don't think, I believe, I feel strongly, you can't possibly be too happy. In fact, I'd say that we're much more likely to... Save the world through celebration than we are through worry. You know, there's two ways of saving the world uh, the way of worry and the way of celebration. We've tried the way of worry. We've done that for millennia. Mm. Okay. Um, I'm all about trying the way of celebration. And that also doesn't mean, by the way, that if necessary, you won't punch someone in the face. <laughs> you never know. You never know how that shows up, right? You're not going to. So, so, you know, it's like, it doesn't mean that either. It's like um, the best fighter is never angry, that kind of idea. You can still. Fight the good fight, although I might not put it that way. While you're completely at peace inside, the best fighters are never angry. You know um, that doesn't mean they have experienced anger. It Doesn't mean they won't experience anger. It just means that they're cool, calm, and collected. And so they see about twelve steps ahead. And so you know we need much more innovative solutions than we've currently been coming up with. Um, you know by virtue of this old consciousness, it's like an eye for an eye, or it's like we need to suffer more, or we need to brood more, or we need to drown with the drowning people in order to be helpful that is that is not helpful
1: for sure yeah and is that one of the happiness myths that you like mm-hmm. to talk about yeah so. you have some happiness myths up your sleeves
2: yeah i think so lisa right yeah i'd, I'd say I'm, I'm, i wanna, i want to would say that um i think happiness myths probably gosh there's countless myths but i'd say they probably reduced to at least um two or three happiness is outside you mm. the, um happiness is not here now (laughs) Mm. right so the other one um and happiness is ephemeral or temporary i'd say any you know there's so many but i'd say the, the primary two are happiness must be somewhere else or in something or someone else other than me and happiness must be somewhere else other than this red hot precious priceless prosperous present moment
1: so the happiness truths are the opposite to that? Are there other happiness truths that, that we should be aware of?
2: I love that. I'd say that um, happiness is, um, oh, happiness is now here. Sometimes we joke and say happiness is nowhere because if you put now and here together, you get nowhere because it's nowhere. It's not any one place in the world. Um, the closest thing we could say, it's within you. But if we go deep enough, we discover that this you we talk about is almost impossible to locate. We feel like it's inside the body. But if we really dive deep enough, we realize that there is no real inside and outside. We will go there. But the idea is it's nowhere. Um, it's now here. Right. Um, the other thing I think is sometimes I'm into and, and, and that point, too. So happiness is within you and it's here and now or it's never. It's now or never. Right. It's here or nowhere. Uh, and so by that, I simply mean if you think that happiness is somewhere else and you happen to find it somewhere else, you will continue to project happiness into some other place beyond that. And if you think it's some time else, once you get to the future, you will project that you have that same mindset and project happiness into some other future moment. That's why we see, you know, so many of us and I've been post-aporting this is like, just if, when, if that thing happens, when that thing happens, then I'll feel happy or peaceful or loved. And then you get there and it maybe lasts for a little while. And then before you know it, you're off and running to the next thing or the next person. So, um, yeah, happiness is here now. We'll say for the as a concession to language that it's within you. I'd go further and say that it is you, that the you that we speak of isn't a body, although we have a body, we aren't a body, we have a mind, but we aren't a mind. We have thoughts, but we aren't our thoughts. There's something that's faceless and formless and thoughtless and wordless, infinite, eternal, that is happiness. Some people just call it life, and I like that. It's just life, unfiltered, unedited, uncensored life, the unfiltered, uncensored, unedited experience of life itself. Um, even to call it an experience is wrong, but um, there's no real great language to describe it. But um, yeah, happiness is what you are, not what you do, not even what you think. It's just what you are. Sure. I feel very satisfied yeah.
1: And so for people who are hearing that and thinking, well, then darn it, why, why don't I experience myself that way? Are there any tricks from positive psychology? Any little things that, that people could do as home play to, to awaken to the happiness that they are? Because I'm I'm with you. I, I think this is our, our core nature. I, I, I like to talk about, we all have these like, obstructions to it, but what's your perspective on like how people could begin a practice of just kind of finding it, tapping into that, that joy that we all are.
0: Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further Allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive.
2: Yeah. So I'd say there's four I think of it as four primary ways and thought long about this because I'm trying I'm always trying to simplify. Um lots of thoughts and ideas. And there's four primary paths, and you can kind of take them in order. I'd say the first is just happy activities, um, happy actions. Just list out, identify activities or things you can do or that you have done that you'd like to do that make you feel alive, that make you feel inspired, um, for their own sake, not for what they get you. So if there was no one else participating, it was just you, nobody knew you, you did it. What would you love to do for its own sake that made you feel alive or energized, enthusiastic or excited just to be? Identify those things. Try to schedule more of those into your life. At the same time, identify, we'll call those your happiness islands. At the same time, identify the opposite of those. Activities that you do not love. In fact, you may be loathe and you wish you never had to do. And you only do because they get you something else. They're extrinsically as opposed to intrinsically rewarding. Identify those and try to schedule them out of your life. And you can do that in one of seven ways. You can, um, well, start with the cheapest, which is reduce or eliminate. You can stop doing it or do way less of it. You can outsource or delegate. You can pay someone to do. You can give it to someone else to do. You can automate or regulate. We automate bill pay. Click a button. Boom, it's done. Create an app for that. The easy button for that. We can regulate. Uh, we can just reduce the frequency. Or seven, we can innovate, which means how can we be lazier but smarter about how we do that activity? Maybe it's cleaning, washing the dishes. Can we listen to a podcast at the same time? Can we listen to music? Can we dance? Can we do it naked? Who knows? You know, you try to make it fun or enjoyable. So that's one of path of four. The, so it's happy actions. Second path is um happy people. Just identify the people who make you feel most alive, happy, supported, loved. Spend more time with those people. And then identify the opposite of those people, people that are maybe energy vampires and spend as little time as humanly possible with those people. Very simple. So, so so, already now you're getting more and more experience of what we may call happiness. We graduate from that. We talk about happy thoughts. So the idea is how can we think and talk in ways that are truthful but better feeling? So instead of betting thoughts and conversations based on whether or not it's true, yes, the war is happening. Yes, no question about it. How can we speak about it in a way that is better feeling? In other words, is more supportive and constructive with respect to what we want to feel, be, achieve, experience, or enjoy. Lots of things that are true. Lots of things are true. Talking about them, thinking about them will not help. Will not help you. Will not help your loved ones. Will not help the world. So how can we think about it talk about it in ways that make us feel better also being true? So that's where gratitude and savoring and optimism and resilience and grit, all those things are kind of woven in there from the, side. From the psychology perspective. It doesn't matter the language, the idea is the same. And then finally, happy no thoughts. So if you want to take a beeline directly to happiness and you're really lazy the way I am, in fact, Robert Marsh, I think he said, um, the difference between a master and the rest of us is that a master is even too lazy to blink, (laughs) right? The idea is how do we go directly to the source for it? So you'll find that in your happiest moments, your most pleasurable moments, think about when you had a great piece of chocolate or you just really enjoyed a roller coaster ride or it was a really blissful, intimate sexual experience. And, you know, you're just all blissed out. You either have very simple thoughts or no thoughts. It's just like, oh, you know, even when people Notice when people say things like, oh, the food was so good. They, 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 they're more likely to make a sound or than they are to even describe it. It's like, it's just, we'll mm. say chef's kiss. It's just ineffable kind of. So the idea there is maybe practicing something like our micro meditation. Micro meditation is very simple. You're reminding yourself that hopefully you have a hundred years left in these beautiful human flesh costumes, but also maybe you only have a day or an hour 60 seconds. So you get real serious about that. Not, I should say, sincere about that. not serious. Sincere. And then you let all your thoughts go. You breathe in through your nose and out of your mouth from the stomach. So you let your stomach can expand more than it normally would on the inhale. Contract more than it normally would on the exhale. And you're doing it For one reason and one reason only, and that is simply to feel as good as humanly possible for one moment, for one breath in your life. You're treating that one breath, that one moment, this breath, this moment, as though it's the last moment and the only moment of your life. And and that is not a... That is the truth. It is the only moment you have. It's the only moment we have is this one moment here, and now there there are no... Past is history, it's memory. The future is fantasy, right? It's projection, it's imagination. The only moment, the only breath that we actually have in any particular moment in time is this one. Like it's the only moment that's guaranteed. It's the only one that ever exists. Even when the next moment shows up, it shows up as this moment again. Even when the next breath shows up, it shows up as this breath again. So the idea is how can I squeeze as much joy out of that breath as humanly possible? And the key to that is forgetting everybody and everything in the world, including yourself. Yourself, you call that? Whatever you call it. And so if you try to get good at it, you always suck at it and you won't enjoy it. If you only try to get, if you only try to enjoy it, you'll not only enjoy it, you'll get really good at it really fast. Okay. So just try to enjoy it, Do not try to get good at it. If you try to get good at it, you always suck and you hate it. You really just do it because you want to be selfish and hedonistic, you get really good really fast and you also tend to find you enjoy it. So you do that for about 22 to 66 days and you start to rewire your brain to do it or to approach life and all life activities in a much more meditative fashion so that you're not lost in discursive thought, you're lost in presence, but really you're found.
1: That's a gorgeous recipe. I mean, you just gave all these these different aspects that we can bring to our lives both structurally out there and and inside. And I think it comes down to just, know that that this is okay to do just be deserving feel like this is something that you can have for yourself i mean we can all recognize that those things are going to create a happier life why aren't more people just doing those things because we just don't know that we we should we don't know that we can and we don't have that really deep down understanding that it would benefit everyone around us and everything if we took care of ourselves that way it's just not i don't think in our our framework that, that most of us think, especially, I don't want to say especially women, but in my experience with people I've worked with, it seems mostly women who get their worth and their value out of doing for others and reaching out, you know, outside of themselves. And we have to understand that the best thing we can do for ourselves in the world is to to follow that recipe that you just laid out. That was really important.
2: I love that so much, Lisa. Um, you remind me of, I love, I have a special place in my Osho. Osho was wild. I'm sure most of us familiar with osho but he said something i I will always cherish um especially from a person who likes the idea of saving other people you know i love and and he he said um so much of the world's like evil and problems have been created by very well-intentioned people good people who are trying to do good and he said but what's the guarantee that in all your hard work and all your effort in all your good intentions, you have actually haven't made the world worse off and you haven't made people worse off. And you haven't made people's lives more difficult. And in your assumption that you know what's right for anyone, including yourself, you haven't actually gotten in the way of what's right, which is really tough to hear. But when you sit with that for a second, you suddenly discover, oh, I can kind of resign from my position of being CEO of the universe or being CEO of my loved ones or even being CEO of my own life. Like clearly I'm not in control. I'm not in charge. Oh, what a relief. What a relief to not be in charge, you know, to just be a co-creator, to be a co-participant um, in the experience that we call life. And I think that's so true. I think it's um, easy to think that such and such a person, and those persons include countries that are far, seem far away from us, but aren't that far away, um, that they should be doing X, Y, or Z. Um, but that is um, a logical fallacy. Uh, maybe what's happening, is terrible and as frustrating and as overwhelming and depressing as it often can seem to be is precisely what should be happening right here and right now that is hard for me to you know it's hard to really come around to that um but we want to be careful of these ideas that make us suffer thinking and hoping that in our suffering will somehow relieve the suffering of others doesn't generally work that way and um i'm convinced that whatever it is that hangs the earth on nothing, rotates it on its axis, revolves it around the super hot star that we call a sun at just the right distance to not burn us up or freeze us. That also beats our heart and breathes our lungs is infinitely more intelligent and knows what it's doing since it's been doing it for millennia than me and my tiny little minuscule pea brain. Uh, and that I try to keep in mind daily as tough as it can be from a human perspective. So um, yeah, I just want to tag that on to what you said and yeah, say, because I feel like um it's important thing for me to remember otherwise i get too caught up in doing the right thing and making everything right and fixing everyone else and serving everyone else when really the one thing i can control most is oh what am i doing with me right here and now
1: beautiful yeah for sure honey so i want to uh, get to the the group conversation coach rob Mack is Rob's website you can find him there he does amazing coaching Rob and I have an event together in South Florida coming up later this month if you're in South Florida you can go to my website and see there at the events page we have some online things coming up we have lots of things coming up that we we do together we love to play together and Rob what do you have that's on your heart that that you want to just share before we we uh close out the recording
2: yeah I just um I just so appreciate you listen I appreciate everyone. Here it's um overwhelming. Every time I connect with you, Lisa, I just feel so grateful. And every time I look at the screen here and I see each of your beautiful faces, I just feel so grateful. It's just um it's uh, impossible to put in words, and it's inspiring, it's so deeply inspiring to see people who are so committed um to the world's joy, to the world's peace, and have enough self-awareness to know that they're the closest people to the world, right? That we can affect the world in the greatest possible way by rallying the happiness and peace and love through ourselves instead of through other people and activities in the world, none of which we can control. So I just feel so grateful and inspired. And um, I just want to thank you all for just you know, inviting me and letting me participate in the conversation.
1: deepest gratitude and love to you, my beautiful listener tribe with representation in 30 countries all across the globe. I'm so honored to spend this time with you. If you're wondering about my online events, my books, joining my Joy School community, all of that is waiting for you at lisamccourt.com. I look forward to connecting with you there. Much love.
0: You're not